Hey, welcome to the Tradies Success Podcast. If you're loving the podcast, we'd love to help you start, scale, or automate your tradie business. We help everyone from startup all the way up to $1 million plus months, and would love to be able to help you too. So click the link in the show notes if you're interested in getting some support and joining an epic community of legends in the academy. We'd also appreciate if you're loving the podcast to leave a review. It helps us reach more people and help more tradies like you run successful businesses. All right, let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome to the Tradies Success Podcast. I'm here with Nick Williams from Precision Electrical, one of our peak performers and super pumped to be jumping in today and talking around elevating perception of tradespeople everywhere. Uh, in case you guys haven't heard before in the podcast, that is our mission at the Academy and we are doing everything we can to upskill business owners to be able to get out there, train their staff better and, and produce uh, better tradespeople all in all and raise the perception of the general public of what it means to become a tradesman. Um, but Nick is all on board with this. He said that's pretty much why he got into business as well. Um, so when he heard that, he was uh, all over it. But I'd love to hear from you, Nick. Like, what what's driving you uh, to elevate the perception of tradespeople everywhere as well? Yeah, when I was um, you know working for other people and, and doing my apprenticeship and everything else, I sort of just I would just see that there was a, a gap sort of missing um, the the service just wasn't quite there. Like people knew what they were doing. They knew how to do their jobs properly. They go in, they do the job and then they leave. And there was like, there was no after service. There was no doing relationships. It was like a one and done thing just too often. Mm. Um, and was, that's not what I wanted to do. Yeah. It's like, it's pretty much everyone that I've ever hired initially has come from a company where the mentality was just go in and do the job you've been given. And, and that's, the mindset, you know, and to, to go in there and, you know, there's no training around how to really impress the person you're working with or how to provide extra value to them. Um, so you obviously saw that as well. What, what was some of the things that helped you identify that that was something you wanted to do, like raise the perception? What did you start to do yourself when you were working for other people? Well, I, um, I actually moved from Sydney out to Charleville to do my apprenticeship. Um, I wanted a bit more of a, a wider range of experience and whatnot. And um, it soon became apparent that like, people just like having a chat out in the country. <laughs> um, there wasn't something that, that, that just happened in, in the city at all, that people were just so quick to get in and get out. Whereas, yeah. you know, taking that time to actually talk to people and get to know them and, you know, they just seem to make a huge difference with, with work going forward. Like if there was ever any issues with work, you know, you, you alleviated half your problems because you had a relationship built. Um, ongoing work, again, you had that relationship built with people. So they were constantly calling you back. And it was always, you know, hey, Nick, we do this. Or hey, Nick, we do that. Not like, hey, ring up another Sparky every time trying to figure out what they needed. Yeah. Yeah, I love sharing that, um, that, thought process of like the more that you spend with someone the more value they've received from you and therefore the more they're likely to remember who you are as well and uh if you if you can connect on a deeper level rather than just coming in you know doing the job and leaving without building a relationship while you're there people won't even remember the name of the company let alone who you were that came out as the tradesperson so um yeah super interesting 
All right, man. So we'll talk more about that throughout the session, but I'd love to just jump in and find out more about you. So you said you, you moved to Sydney to do your apprenticeship. What else um, happened? Uh, as I, you moved, I, moved, I moved from Sydney out to Charleville with my apprenticeship. Oh, um, right, right, so right. it was sort of a, it was a big step. We thought like being a mature age, I wouldn't be able to do it um, on the wages that we we're going to sort of be offered, you know, in the city and in Sydney and that, especially with the cost of living. So um, I moved up to Charleville about three months before the rest of the family, um, yeah. make sure it was all going to work. They moved up, bought a house, um, did an apprenticeship with a pretty cool guy out there. He just did absolutely everything. He did everything himself too. Um, hated subbing stuff out. So it was, you know, it was a really good grounding learning from him. Uh, yeah. Solar, electrical, um, air conditioning. And then, you know, we built our own trailers. We'd, everything that needed to be done, we did ourselves. Yeah, right. Like it, was, it was great. <laughs> That's a good apprenticeship. Yeah. Yeah, pretty handy. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So moving out to the country, man, that's massive. And what you had a family with kids, did you, when you were mature age going out there? Yeah. Man, massive move. Yeah, I had um, yeah, two young girls at the time. Yeah. And so you went out, you did your first three months as a mature age. How old were you when you started your apprenticeship? Oh, uh, it was like twenty. Well, I'm actually about 28, 27, 28, something there about. Yep. Yep. Cool. And so you started your apprenticeship at 28. How old are you now? Uh, 33. 33. So like in five years, everyone's going to hear what you've done since starting your apprenticeship, um, finishing your apprenticeship and doing what you've done, um, which is going to be cool. Um, oh, that's awesome, dude. What were you doing before your, the apprenticeship in the electrical industry? Uh, nothing in the electrical industry. So it was a complete from scratch, moved outside. Um, I've done a bit of work, working on cattle stations. When I was younger and did a five year stint in the army. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a bit of a, a good grounding. And then it was, yeah, just completely fresh. It just rang up, rang up a mate out there one day. And I'm like, oh, how hard is it to get working out there? I'm sick of being in Sydney. And it's like, come do an apprenticeship. No way. <laughs> <Starting me off. laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. What's it like in the army, man? What was that like for you? Yeah, it's good. Um, there's definitely some good parts. There's always some bad parts to every job. Um, I think the main thing for me is I, I, I definitely suit running my own show as opposed to taking orders. <laughs> um, I like to be the commander. <laughs> yeah, that was it, mate. That was it. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it definitely gave me a good grounding and, you know, good discipline. And um, that definitely set me up for this, I think. Mentality yeah. changed a lot. So. Yeah. What do you reckon the mindset shift was for you like pre-army versus post-army like what changed in you and your mind and reflecting on that experience um the biggest thing when i left the army was becoming a little bit less regimented um you know like everything for me had to be done a certain way at a certain time um i had pretty high expectations of everyone around me mm -hmm. um and i sort of had to relax a little bit and just learn to learn to join the workforce again yeah. Um, and that it wasn't going to be a, not everything's laid out exactly how it needs to be for you. Yeah. Like in the army, army is very yep. structured, very planned. They know what you Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Do you feel that affected your ability to innovate and create new ideas or where do you think you sat with that? Not really. Um, I've always, always dreamed big. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think doing the doing the apprenticeship probably was one of the best things I ever did because it 
it gave me the ability to then move into running my own business. Um, and you know, like you sort of, you've got those dreams, you have those plans, and then just putting them into action, then like having the ability to do that. So it's probably been, probably been the most fulfilling thing that I've done so far. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely, yeah, definitely a highlight. Yeah, cool. So tell me about, you've, you've done your apprenticeship, you did pretty much 360, you know, you did everything, you learned everything, you had a great experience. At when you finished and become a tradesman, what, where was your head at? What were you thinking about? Did you want to go straight into your own business? You know, tell me a little bit about that. And, and when did you set up? Yes. Yeah, so I, I had it actually, um, I had it planned pretty much from when I started my apprenticeship that I wanted to work for myself. Um, coming straight out of it, I was certain legal obligations to me. So, you know, I made some, I made some contacts, um, and worked out who I needed to actually form a business. Um, but I had it, I had it well and truly planned before I left. The, the guy I finished my apprenticeship with, um, he knew exactly what I wanted to do, and and he was good enough to um to take the time and give me a lot of advice and especially his last two years of it. And um, yeah, the rest was as he said, all ambition after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. So good. So. So you're not in, you're not in there any, you don't live there anymore, do you? Did you move no. to start your business? Yes, yeah, so we moved back to the coast, um, up in up in Brizzy, north side of Brizzy. Yep. Um, we started out at Wamuran, and now we've um we've moved into a, a warehouse in Caboolture there, um, yep. sort of right next to the highway, so it's perfect location. Yeah. Perfect for everything that we do. Yeah. Nice. So you started your business up there, started fresh. Did you move there and no. work there first or? No, so I did a, I did a couple of months when I finished. Um, we, moved, we moved down with the intention of starting the business, um, but it was just when COVID was kicking off essentially. Mm. Um, um, ran a project for him, did pretty well on that project. And the day the project finished, he, um, he canned a whole bunch of us, said no. Nah, like COVID, too yeah. late, too, you know, too bad. So I just went, um, that was dead smack in the center of the first lockdown for Queensland. Um, so I went, well, stop it. I'm going to do my own thing and started in the middle of lockdown. Yeah. Amazing. So man, there's so many stories and so many people that came into the Academy during lockdown have done so well in their first like two years of business. Um, cool, man. So now we're up to like, you've started your business what what was the experience like like starting out what was that like for you what were you having challenges around um it was pretty i already had a plan so i already had it in my head how i was going to do things um and i've always had the ability to talk to people which i think that a lot of a lot of guys struggle with especially when they're first starting out um so like i went and i went and bought the car set the car up um I had a fair bit of tools and equipment already because I've been planning it for quite a while um and I I just went from I think we went out to Escat at Somerset and worked my way back and I walked into every single real estate and every single business <laughs> um and just introduced myself hand out flyers told them what told them what we could do um <laughs> I sort of made out with a splash and got a um a fairly large car. Um so yeah, that like we carry all the gear so we can do everything in one go and we had the sales pitch right from the start. Um 
just started gaining traction. So we focused a lot on real estate work. Um, I started picking up some council work. Yeah. Um, and it's just growing from there. Awesome. Cool. So when did you, what made you come into the academy in the first place? Like what was on your mind? What did you see? Like what was your experience with the academy? So I, I see it pop up on Facebook all the time. Um, the main thing when I first looked at it, so I was sort of arming and ahhing quite a bit because, you know, back then money was tight, um, like, you know, as, as it would be. Um, and I was sort of, I could see that it could probably have some good points to it and I wasn't too sure about it. Like, I didn't know it would be like a, a gimmicky type thing. Um, and eventually, I, there was a, um, there was a, like a three month or a three month trial type of thing that you were running at the time. I thought, like, I don't know everything. Can I, you know, it'd be handy to get a bit of a hand and, you know, see what this is about. Um, you know, jumped into it and, yeah, look, a lot of the stuff that I had planned, a lot of the stuff that I was sort of leaning towards was the same, the same fundamentals um, that the academy had. So straight away it resonated. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, yeah, just it fine-tuned a lot of what I was doing and then it just gave me so many more ideas on top of that. Um, stuff that we've we've followed outright and other stuff that's tweaked a little bit to yep. sort of match what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but just the the support there, um, knowledge base that when you combine everyone and the coaches, um, it just sort of all fit perfectly for us and what we needed at the time. Yeah, understand. Cool, man. Hey, we have um, currently got a bunch of incubator guys finishing up and. Um, this is something that comes up all the time where they, they do incubator, which is our 12 week program, uh, the incubation period for peak performers. And, um, it is so intense. The information, it's just like every week, there's just like lots of information. It's about like filling your mind with all these ideas. Um, so they get to the end and they're like, Oh, I think I'm just going to wait a little while and implement the strategies that, uh, I've, I've learnt. Uh, in incubator, um, not realizing how much we do in peak performers to help with that and assist with that and implement during the, uh, the peak performers journey. What would you say to those guys that are just finishing up now um, with incubator and who might be thinking like, oh, just there's so much I haven't done. I didn't have time to do incubator stuff. I'm just going to wait and implement that when I get a chance. Yeah, look, I had those um, I had those same thoughts as well. Like, obviously, again, you've got to make a decision when you get to that that point. A lot of it comes down to you know uh, your business and, and finances and, and what you're getting out of it and whatnot as well. Um, you're not going to be able to do everything in that that incubator period straight away. And even if you jump in with peak performers, uh, the stuff that you're going to learn there, you're not going to be able to implement it straight away every time. Um, I've got like a huge list of stuff that's like on my list to get to but the good part about peak performance i found um is you, you're held accountable and you keep pushing if you've just got a list of stuff to do and there's no accountability there like there's no one checking in and seeing how you're going or offering you the help you're just not going to get around to it because it's just your day's full um, so <laughs> yeah. you know like that that there um for me was was huge the accountability like being out in a room with you know 30 40 guys or 20 guys or however many in your bulk class um, you know, and then coming back next week saying, yeah, I was going to do all this stuff. And then you rock up the next week and you haven't done it. You feel a bit silly. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But if you, if you have done it, like, you know, everyone's like, oh yeah, he crushed it. Like I should be trying harder because like he did, you know, 
So it's a little bit, for me, I, I, I like a little bit of, I, mean, I know most people are this way in the academy, but I look at a little bit of the competition every week. It's like, what can I do that's going to make me better than these guys? Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's what, I, that, that's what I thrive on. So having that constantly around is, um, that's a huge thing. And just, you got to look outside of, of those, like the information that you're given to, to sort of push your business forward, but you've got to look at what else the academy can offer to. Um, I've had weeks where I haven't implemented anything, but I've had some dramas at work with, with different guys or different customers and having the ability to talk to the coaches and get help through that has just been instrumental in us getting to where we are. Yeah, man. Um, that's what I love about it too, is just to be able to not only hold you guys accountable, but each other hold each other accountable. Like the team, like you were just saying, like you want to you wanna come back next week and have done more than everyone else, which is a form of accountability. Um, but also for us to be there when you're struggling. I just remember back, like I had no one to talk to. It was like, I couldn't talk to anyone at the wholesaler. I went to business coaches, but they didn't understand the industry. There was just, you know, it was just so lonely. I felt so lonely. Um, so it's so cool that you guys have that, the network as well, that you can support each other um, and grow as a team, which is super cool. Um, so with that, with what you've learned, because you had like your best ever months in November, December. Um, so what what do you think is the next step for you? Like what is what is the business look like for you in like a, a year's time? Look, I'm thinking if we if we keep going on the same trajectory that we have, um, and we've got a few opportunities at the moment that we're trying to capitalize on. Yeah, you know, in, in a year's time, um, I'll probably have a few more admin staff. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we double our numbers of what we currently have um, on the tools, at least. Um, How many staff you got now? Including myself um, and the two guys that just accepted jobs. We've got 11. Yeah. Um, 11, staff the, the in, 11 staff in two years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's Amazing. Been, it's been pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> You are yeah, crank. Can't complain about it. <laughs> yeah. And then, do you know what? Like, um, you you know, doubling... we're, we're already. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, um, we're already looking at putting on a general manager um, to take over a lot of the day to day running so that I can get back to growing the business because we're sort of almost in that in between stage. I've got too many staff and not giving me enough hours in the day. Mm. Um, so, you know, BDM, GM, admin staff. And then, yeah, just get everything sort of streamlined a bit more. Yeah, because you go from, like, when you're starting out, you, you go from your being pulled back onto the tools and you get to a point where you become 100% manager and then you, you're getting pulled away from growing the business, you know, by, you know, constantly managing people. Um, so you're at that scale phase at the moment um, once you get to white bolt scale. Um, and if you do what you're going to do in the next year, you'll be at freedom level, you know, which is so epic, man. And I, I'm all for you doing that. <laughs> Cause I love hearing like th someone in three years fucking going from zero to hero. You know what I mean? So that's so, so cool. Awesome, man. So what are you instilling coming back to the raising the perception of tradespeople? You've got 11 staff now. So what are you instilling in your team? What is, like the big thing that you try and get them to understand so that they're out there customer facing and 
and really blowing your customers away? What I um what I say to the guys, and I, I say to them like, oh, I know it might sound a bit tacky, but like I want people that want to elevate the perception of the tradesman. Um, and I say like, if, if you if you buy into that, if you believe in that, and that's what you want to do, everything else will fall into place. Mm. You know, if that's your goal, your work's going to be good, your appearance is going to be good, your communication is going to improve. Like all of this stuff feeds into that one that one goal. So instead of trying to focus on little things here and there, like, oh, I want to be better at upselling or I want to be better at talking to customers or I want to be better at putting a split system or whatever they happen to do, like, you've just got that one goal and that's your main focus. Everything else will fall into place for it. Mm. Man, I love it. Like, you can almost end the day and ask yourself, did you elevate the perception of tradespeople? Like, did you? Uh, and if... Like if, if the, if your tradie does this something wrong, right. And, and you go, nah, you, uh, you know, you put dirty boots all through the house or something, right. Or the business. Um, the question is, did you elevate the perception of tradespeople there? No, I didn't. Why? Because of this, you know, uh, rocks up late. Did you elevate perception of tradespeople? No. Why? I was late. I'm reinforcing the, the bad stereotype when you're doing stuff like that. Um, so I, I love that you said that. That's so, so cool. Sweet. So what do you want your customers to know? Like what's what's the thing that you want the feedback to be to you from your customers? The, um, look, it, it's, it's not common to get good feedback from customers. Like you always hear about the bad. Um, but so if you hear anything, you know, anything good from the customer, they go out of their way. Um, you know, you're on the right path. So the things that, that, I really like hearing um, what I like seeing is it's not so much the Google reviews and stuff like that. There's a lot of programs that you can use to sort of push people to doing that. But when someone picks up the phone and or writes me a direct email saying, hey, I had these guys on site today. Um, they were fantastic. They did this, they did that. They, they were happy. They were, you know, like talked to us all day, got the work done efficiently, didn't leave a mess. Like yeah. it's all the little things that's, going against the, um, you know, the stereotype of the tradesman. That, that's what I like hearing back from the customers. And the recommendations, if you get someone that recommends you, like, hey, these guys came out um, and they just went above and beyond. It's not about just doing the bare minimum, like, you know, oh, my, my letterbox was falling off and one of the tradesmen just screwed it back on his way past. Or something as, as yeah. insignificant as that, as stupid as that, like, oh, he played, he played with the kid while he was here for a minute. like. I had a customer who's got a, a little daughter who's like two, and I walk into her house, um, and she runs to the into the kitchen drawers, and she pulls out spatulas, and we come and we have sword fights every time I walk in. <laughs> that's what she remembers, like this little two year old. Yeah. Um, the customer just loves it, and she recommends it to everyone. Yeah, so it's just great. Just little things like that just really make a difference. Man, she would be like, "When's Nick coming back? <laughs> When's yeah, yeah. Nick coming back? I want a sword fight. <laughs> yeah, we do have to change those lights. We should get the solar panels he recommended." <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. So yeah, and it is, hey, it's just those little, it's those little things that are not your job. It's not what you're there to do is what the customer yeah. will always remember and talk about to everyone else. So um, <clears throat> that's super it's cool. Little, it's just little things. Like I, I tell my guys, like, if you're going to a private job, like not, not, not so much the real estate stuff, like still talk to people when you're doing real estate stuff. But if you're going to a private job, Take 10 minutes, take 15 minutes, pick something out that you can see in the house that the customer's clearly got pride in mm. um, and have a chat to them about it. Like, it doesn't hurt. We've got the time to do it. 
you know, just build that rapport. It's, it's kind of helped them and me out in the long run. Um, you know, as the business owner, it's going to help my tradesmen as well on site. Yeah, I think if you if you build that relationship, then when it comes to recommending anything on site, it becomes just a friendly. Hey, if I'm I'm your friend now, right? We've built this relationship. We're now friendly with each other. If I was your mate, this is what I'd recommend. And all the tradies out there listening to this, you got to think as well. Like when you go over to a mate's house and you see that they've got in your trade specific trade something that you know you could have a great solution to you'd be telling them about it over a beer right like you'd just be like oh you could do this you could do that change this change that um we want to get to that level in in our relationships with our clients because then it becomes very natural and and people if people feel that you're their friend then they're going to take your advice and and i think that's massive so with your guys have you had any resistance to the raising of perception of tradespeople, bad habits, um, just poor training, like what sort of things have come up for you that you've had to work through? Yeah, absolutely. One of the um, one of the biggest the biggest hurdles I've had in the last two year and a half is hiring staff. Um, there's obviously a shortage of staff at the moment getting around. Um, so we went through a stage of sort of desperation hiring for like a better words, like I needed people, I needed bodies on the ground, we had work. Um, and that was probably the one of the worst things that I did was was hire guys. I was a bit like, uh, you yeah, know, we can work with him, you'll be all right. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's just guys that you can't like, and it's like we, we've hired a lot of stuff, but we've also had to, we've had to, to part ways with a lot of stuff as well because they just, um, they don't want to have that culture there. Yeah. They're used to showing up, being a number. The boss doesn't actually know who they are. You know, they just collect their wage, hang out with the guys at work, and go home at the end of the day. Mm. Um, and that's 100% not what we're about. So that's, that's probably the, the biggest hurdle is trying to trying to build that company culture that what we're after, um, and also trying to trying to get the new guys to buy into it as well when they come on board. Yeah. Cool. So what are the sort of things that you're looking for during that uh, phase of hiring now through, you know, having to hire and fire? What are some of the things that you do to make sure that you're hiring a person that's going to elevate the perception of tradespeople everywhere? Yeah, so look, um, for me, appearance is a big one. Um, The guy comes in and takes pride in himself when he walks in, that's always a good sign. It's a good start. Um, I always like to ask guys, what are you, what's important to you outside of the money? Mm. Um, you know, and you can pick up a lot from what the response generally is, you know, like that's communication or, um, family time or whatever it happens to be. That, that's a big one. Um, I like to, I like to talk to guys and see if they get excited while they're talking. Like you, you get me talking about the business and everything else. Like you can't shut me up. I'm, I guess I love it. I'm excited by it. Yeah. Um, you know, like if I see talking about jobs that he's done and he's getting really animated and really like, you know, happy and excited and bouncy about being there, like, you know, he actually likes what he's doing. Um, which is which is a, a huge one. That's that's big for me. 
yeah, I think that's really important, um, making sure that you get them to speak openly about what excites them and let them talk. I see a lot of interviews play out. I used to actually do a ghost interview sort of thing. I got people to record it. We worked uh, through it and then would be like, okay, cool. So you, you pretty much talked the whole time <laughs> about you and, and the role and you didn't give them a chance to talk at all. Therefore, you know nothing about them. So it's really important when we're interviewing this that we, like you said, just ask the right questions and just let them speak. Let them show their passion, let them show their personality. Um, so yeah, that's super cool. What's some of the things that you had to deal with? Yeah. So there's, um, there's one question I do ask in an interview that, that sort of takes people a little bit off guard. Um, I, always, I always ask it in a weird way to start with and then I explain why I ask the question. Um, I say to them, what are you better at than me? And <laughs> they sort of always look at you. They always look at you and I'm like, no, it's, it's a question because I've always had this theory that, especially as the boss, everyone looks at you and expects you to know everything and have all the answers. And, um, and like I don't, and no one ever should. So you should always be hiring someone that's better at you than something so that you can still learn and develop. And just yeah. getting that answer off guys is that that's always an interesting one. Yeah. I love that. On that though, do you know what that one thing I love to do is to do my interview and my interviews when I interview for people is like me asking them just a ton of questions and just being genuinely interested in them, allowing them to fully open up to me. And then I just go, okay, it's your turn to interview me now. Let's go. <laughs> so you ask me the questions and you find out if this is a role for you. Um, you know, I think that's a real great way to, to like invite them to try and figure out what they're better at than you. Um, do you get any, um, just on that, do you get any funny answers to that question? Yeah, I, um, I interviewed a, an apprentice once and one of the, one of the first things I was asking is like, what does he like to do outside of work? Because, you know, like if you can't have a conversation with someone during the day, it's, it's makes for a pretty long day and you're just telling them like motorbikes and fishing and everything else. And I said, oh, like I'm a horrible fisherman. Like I can catch a whole bunch of blackfish when I go fishing, but that's about it. <laughs> and um, I asked him, asked him right at the end of the day, like, end of it, I'm like, oh, what do you think you're better at than me? And he, he piped up straight away and go fishing. <laughs> like, well, you were paying attention. He was listening. That's good. Was you listening. can listen. You've got the job. <laughs> That's all you need to be able to do as an apprentice is listen and take it sense in. Sense of humor. It's good. Yeah, sense of humor. Cool. Love that. Sweet, man. So what with um, your progress now, so you've got your warehouse. What's, what's some of the big things that you think you're going to start implementing to just further reinforce this perception of tradespeople through your team now that you've had these experiences you've hired you've fired um you've you've tried you said you're trying to get people on board what are some things that you're going to be bringing in to try and get them to really buy into this yeah um that's a bit of a hard one i guess so i think we, we just try to be innovative um we try and try and have that that support in the workplace as well um but i want i want guys to be excited about what we're trying to do like we've got some we've got some pretty crazy ideas and some pretty crazy plans for the, for the future um but yeah like but yeah the hype i don't know really <laughs> the hiring is the hardest part we, we offer a lot of incentives so 
the, the, the thing that we're trying to weed out at the moment is whether guys are, are wanting to come across purely for the benefits or whether they, they want to come across because they're coming to a place that they know they're going to look after and they're going to reciprocate that. I don't know if that made much sense at all. <laughs> Just rephrase that for me. So you're from the benefits or they're just here for the, the comfort of the role. Is that what you mean? Well, like at the moment, we're having to incentivize to hire. I think a lot of people are. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not still not a well-known company. So I want guys that, yes, we're incentivizing, but I want them to come here. I don't want guys that are coming here purely because they see that they can get all this extra stuff. I want guys to come here and go, okay, he's giving us some extra stuff because he wants to look after us yeah. and they want to reciprocate that back. They want to, for lack of better words, become a bit of a company man too and go, well, he's looking after us, so we want to do the right thing by him. Um, yeah. that, that's the type of people that we're trying to trying to find at the moment. Yeah. How do you, how do you differentiate between the two, like people that are applying for jobs? How do you know uh, that someone's not coming for the, the incentive or because they believe in what you're doing? I think we've got... We got one guy at the moment that's coming across, um, and like he knew about the incentives, but he didn't ask about any of them. Like I asked him, I asked him what drew him to the company and everything else, um, and it was location and a few, a few other things. But I asked him about the incentives that I brought it up, um, and he didn't really have a lot to say on it. But what he did have a lot to say on was the working conditions in his last place. Mm. Um, I think last week alone he worked 112 hours, uh, which is ridiculous to, yeah. to ask anyone to do that um and like he was almost you know like you could just see he was always broken like he wasn't getting to see his family and everything else yeah um so when i look at a guy like that and go hey this is what we're offering you and he's he's not so much excited about what he's being given as such but he's just excited about being given something um that just shows that like he's already recognizing that he's coming to a workplace where where we want to look after and that staff retention is really important to us. Mm. Um, so that that's obviously the first indicator for me. The next thing is, you know, you obviously got your three month probation and we see we see what their attitude's like with that. Like if they're if they're trying to give back to the company. Um, and you, you can normally tell whether you've got a guy just for the first two weeks they'll try and obviously everyone tries to outdo everyone and, and when they're on probation and, and try and show what you can do in that. But if you've got a guy that lasts the whole three months trying to constantly do the right thing by the company just because it's the right thing to do and he recognises that, you know, that, that sort of symbiotic relationship as such, um, they're the guys that we're after. Oh, man. And I see so many people living in hope that one day this person will get better. And you've got, like Nick just said, in that probation period, you have to go with your gut feeling. If, and you just know. You know when someone's good. You got them in probation and they're crushing it. You you keep them if they're like not good, and you're constantly having to fix their mistakes and follow them up and and you're like oh but if I give them a bit more training in this period, yeah maybe but that's a long term that's a long term game. <laughs> you're not going to grow quickly if you're going to accept that person rolling over probation, and now they're a full time employee and you've got to go through the formal process to get rid of them now so trust your gut that's a, something we want to really like emphasize can you can you back me up on that nick trust your gut when it comes to yeah. that that initial feeling and you've got three months for your gut feeling to tell you 
what it is. And you'll know in two weeks, like Nick said as well, whether they're legit. Yeah, 100%. 100%. You, you just, you do, you just know, like, You've got guys that are, the like I said, they can't last longer than two weeks trying to do the right thing for starters. And that's, <laughs> you know, yeah. people get, people, people inherently get comfortable pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's three months is a long time. But on the same token, it's, it's also for them as well. Like, you're trying to hire staff. Um, you know, and, and what I've found is that you've, you've got to generally want to actually do the right thing by them too. If you don't, <laughs> then you're never going to get the best out of them. And they're not going to hang around either. Yeah, that's 100%. Yeah. Good people don't stick around in in crappy companies. They'll they'll keep finding, and sometimes they get stuck. It's like those good people and bad relationships, right? That you know they would be better without them, and but they're in the they're stuck in that safe. This is safe. This is secure for me, which is actually something to do with the way they were brought up and attachment and the different things. And even though they're being mistreated in the company, they are. Um, you know they're so secure there that they they feel like that the risk of moving and not and finding somewhere which is just as bad or worse is not worth the risk and so i think during that interview phase you showing interest in them while we're on interviews you showing interest in them is a great way for them to feel safe about coming over it's usually when people will just come in and say this is the job this is all the things you know you're starting next week they're like oh no wait have you ever had that man? Like you've interviewed someone and they pull up, they pull back and say, nah, not coming over. Um, yeah, look, I have, I had one guy that I thought sure was going to come over. And then it, it turned out that it was exactly what you just said. Like he was just so afraid of making the jump from where he was mm. um, that, yeah, he just didn't want to risk it. And we, we had a good long chat. Um, and there's some people like, you know, it's just, it is what it is to them. Like they, they just don't know and they're comfortable and, Especially if you've got responsibilities, family, mortgage, everything else, moving mm. jobs is a big thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's massive. It's a risk to them as well. I think a lot of people forget that. Um, but yeah, that's no, cool. Um, while we're talking about interviews, I just want to jump on a couple of tips for anyone that's listening in, sort of around what you're saying, Nick. I think by asking the right questions in this interview phase helps you firstly identify what this person likes and what they don't like. But when it comes to professionally understanding what they, like the couple of, two questions that I always ask in every interview is, um, tell me about um, a memory that you remember of someone that said something that made you feel really bad. So you have someone that might say, oh, you know, I, I worked my guts out for someone and then he called me unprofessional. And that stung me because I, I stand by the word that I'm professional, you know? So that identified to me that I'm never going to say that they're unprofessional to them, you know, because that's an instant burn. Um, the, the other thing is tell me about a time where someone, a coach, a, a, you know, a previous business owner, your parents, a friend said something that made you feel like ecstatic and, and they'll tell you a thing that they said that like a memory that they can recall that made them feel like that. Um, now you know how you sort of get a contrast of like, this is what they hate and this is what they love. So when it comes to encouraging that staff member and managing that staff member, you know, the, the, what did you, what is that thing that you, they said that made you feel horrible or that experience you had? And you just want to avoid that. You put that in there on the employee card, you make sure it's very clear. So no one in your management team goes and says that to them. And also you want to really encourage them when you're talking about, you know, man, 
um, so stoked with what you did today. You were so professional. You know what I mean? So it like really plays into exactly those uh, experiences that they've had that they felt really bad or felt really good with. So um, yes, yeah, just great hearing some of the cool questions that people come up with um, with their interviews. Hey, Nick, like um, there's so, so many interesting ones like, oh, what would you do with a million dollars? Like sort of people were like, oh, buy a Ferrari or, you know, buy a house. And by then some people go, look, I've, you know, I'd reinvest it, put some on chairs and they're actually responsible answers. Um, and it sort of gives you an idea of what they care about and their values. So um, any other cool questions yeah, that you've heard or maybe not using them, but you've, you've heard of or you're using that I haven't said yet? Uh, not, not so much for interviews. Like most of my interviews when I do them are fairly informal. I just like to chat. I like to talk to people. Um, you know, I, I find that if you sit there and just ask interview questions all the time, that it's a, um, they're going through a process. They're there, they're doing an interview, they're answering the questions that are being put in front of them. But if you can just get someone chatting and talking, and I just feel you can get a lot more out of them. Oh, that's, man. You know, that's, totally. that's a personal preference as well. Yeah, 100%. I think where people go wrong is they've got 10 questions they want to ask them and then they read the questions rather than starting with one question and when they answer it from their answer, asking another question that they said in their answer and then hearing that answer and then asking another question in that answer and then eventually coming back to that question, which is a conversation, right? It's a great conversation where you're actually showing genuine interest in what they're saying rather than, yes, can you tell me about this? Okay. Thank you. I'll just write a note about that. And uh, question number two, can you tell me about this? You know, <laughs> oh my God. So awkward. hundred <clears throat> percent. You're, you're not a formal workplace like that. So why would you ask formal questions? You're putting someone in a position where they're like, it's completely outside of what the job role is. Yeah. hundred percent. Hey, um, I heard an interesting, uh, way of interviewing as well is actually inviting them to site. So you meet, meet on site and then um, you actually do the interview while you're walking around and doing it, uh, doing a job, <laughs> which I thought was a really cool way of doing it as well. So you actually get to show them what type of work you're doing. You're actually asking them the questions. You're allowing other like opportunities to joke around and laugh at things. And you have a bit more of an experience rather than a sit down. A lot of people tend to like, oh, let's catch up at a coffee place or come to my office and sit in my office and we'll talk about it. I just found that was a pretty cool way of doing it. Bit, bit interesting, yeah, a bit like out that. of the box. Yeah. That's so, good. I'm going to use that. Yeah, use it. Give it a go. <laughs> Feedback, yeah. how it goes. Um, so I think you're right, man. Like it, it all comes down to doing a good interview, understanding who you're hiring because not everyone is a suitable person for the workplace. And I think what the word you were looking for back when you were talking about it was reactive hiring. It's like, mm. shit, I need someone, hire someone. doesn't matter who it is, get them in. Um, but it's that reactive hiring, which is actually causes you to hire someone that's not suitable, that doesn't believe in your mission as well. And um, it doesn't really vibe with what you do. And then once you've got someone in the team uh, who who isn't aligned with that positive mission. It's like what you said, people only complain. Um, you hear the feedback that people are only complaining. The same with a, a bad staff member. 
like the bad staff member is worth 10 positive things that are happening in the company when they're complaining about something, you know, it makes everyone else sucked in and start to believe the negative stuff that this one person who's not aligned with the mission and says, why the fuck do we need to talk to the customer about anything? I just want to go in and change that thing and do that. And that's all I want to do. And everyone else starts to believe that too, you know? So, um, just quickly talking around toxicity in the workplace. Have you had that experience and what did you do about it? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, it was actually one of my biggest learning curves. So we, we had a guy like that who was one of my best tradesmen. Um, and there's just a lot of negativity. And what I needed to realize was, um, he had, he had an underlying issue. He had some stuff that was going on mm. and he was just taking it out at work. Um, so in that scenario, I, I did have to find out what the underlying issue was. And once, once we solved that, like things improved a lot. On the flip side, you do get people that just don't care. They just don't want to be there. They don't want to do that. They just want to go in, do the bare minimum. Um, and normally, normally for me, I try to have a couple of meetings during, like hopefully you pick it up during the probation periods. Um, so normally I'll try and have a couple of meetings and I'll be pretty open. I'll be like, hey, look, this is the type of company that you've come across. This is what my perception of that is. And it seems to be that this is what your your attitude and your culture that you believe in has come from. Um, that's not what we're after here. This is what we're after. And, and we sort of got to maybe reassure them a little bit and say, you know, like, you're not going to get treated like a number. Like, you are going to get treated well. You are going to get looked after. You are going to have an opinion, like, all the stuff that matters to people. Um, and then you, you sort of see how they go, but then, you know, they're either going to, they're either going to learn, they're either going to come into line and they're going to realize that, you know, this is a good place and that they can, you know, improve, improve themselves and elevate that perception of the tradesman. Um, or they're not, and if they're not, you, you need to get rid of them. You've got to cut that cancer out because it only takes one person to, to destroy a whole culture. Yeah. Sad, isn't it? But it's true. Um, now. Um, man, I've really enjoyed chatting to you. I think we've pretty much covered off everything, uh, that we can talk about right now around what people need to do to get people to align with the culture. It starts with hiring the right people in the first place. And if you haven't hired the right person, make sure you're using that probation period, you know, trust your gut here, um, let them go and find someone else. And I know that's hard decision, especially if you're under the pump and you haven't got any other applicants in that three month period. But I think the tip I can share with you around this is just keep hiring. Don't stop the hiring process because you hired someone during probation. Just assume that they could like, just be prepared that they might not continue. So just keep hiring during probation period until you're definitely happy with the person so that you do have more employee leads coming in. Um, just keep hiring. Um, and then once, once you do have them in your culture, like Nick was saying, just have those real conversations with them, check in with them, have one-on-ones, do your uh, performance reviews and make sure that you're taking the time to actually understand what's going on, not just at work, which might, you know, the behavior might be coming out at work, but find out like, Hey, I've noticed um, this is happening. Is everything okay? You know, and people will go, actually, no, it's not okay. I'm really stressed at the moment. This is happening at home and I've got no money and fucking this and that. And you can go, oh, let me help you. Like, I'm here to support you. Let's do this together. 
Um, and I think once you've got the right people in your team, team that will then you know radiate positivity back into the team. Uh, you know, fleshing out all of those toxic people. If you do have a toxic person in your culture, if things have gone sour and you've tried all of those things, make don't don't hold back on starting the process of giving giving written warnings. Um, and final warning and, and letting them go the right way because the sooner you get them out, what did you say, Nick? Cut the cancer out, <laughs> um, the better. Right. Yeah, <laughs> get, get it out. Get it out as soon as you can and um, make sure that you're bringing that positive culture back in, even if it means you're personally going to be affected by it because you're understaffed again. I think it's worth being understaffed and not having that person or people in your company um, because you've made space for new staff as well as soon as they come up. So, um, man, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and having a chat with us today. I'm sure, man, your story, one to 11 people in, in two years has inspired a bunch of people today. And um, I love your idea of hiring the right people from the start um, and just really instilling that, elevating the perception of, tradespeople everywhere in, in just your daily mission, you know, like you can reflect with that question and people just, it makes it very clear what their, their goal is, isn't it? People know what it is yeah. and what it isn't. So um, uh, any last words around you sharing any tips for elevating the perception of tradespeople for anyone that's listening in right now? Final words of wisdom from Nick. Let's go. <laughs> Let's just, just do the extra, just be genuine, do the extra, right? Do it because you care about what you're doing, not just because you can make something out of it. Yeah, love it. Awesome, man. Thanks again. Have a good one. We'll see you guys soon. So if you're loving the podcast, please share with your friends, anyone that's thinking about starting a tradie business or got a large tradie business. We help everyone from startup all the way up to million dollar plus months. We'd love to help you too. And lastly, it would mean a lot if you could leave a review on the player that you're listening to this on. It helps us get it out there and help more tradies in business perform better and create better lives for themselves.